Hello and welcome to the Veer, Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer, Vulnerabilis Veer podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, Albert, here we are. We got a special one here today. So we liked the, uh, the couple episode of, of the last one of Mike and Liz, and we brought a couple more on today. So we're very excited about that, talking uh, all things uh, couples and uh, our last two episodes. Um, we also have uh, a little bit of the, uh, the under the weather episode. You and I are both kind of feeling a little bit uh, down here, but that's not going to stop us. We're going to keep going and uh, don't worry, no, no COVID stuff for any of our listeners. We're, we're doing all right. And, and I'm uh, sure my I'm sure my <laughs> condition has nothing to do with my nerves about the election. They are yeah. completely unrelated. <laughs> I think we all have a little bit of that uh, resting on our shoulders too. It's a uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just kind of excited to talk about the last episodes, and then we also have a uh, another article that was shared by Neil this time um, that we're going to chat. So, um, Albert, why don't you uh, loop us in on on what we're going to be chatting about today, so we can start it all off. Yes, we're um, going to be taking a look at our previous two episodes which uh, did focus a slightly different focus than usual in that um, two episodes ago, we had Tara Miller and Beth Young uh, came on, uh, two um, very interesting women who came on and talked a little bit from their perspective, uh, told us some fascinating things about the issues that that they face as women, but also answered the the most, most important question, are men and women equally apt to be vulnerable. That was a very interesting part of our conversation. And then um, last week's episode, the current episode that's up, um, was, is uh, with Mike Loria and his wife Liz and how they have adopted and uh, dealt with life during COVID and um, a f- big decision that they had made about children, which I think that that would be a really interesting one for us to discuss a little bit uh, here today as well. And uh, we're representing, I guess, here in our in our group, which you'll briefly uh, introduce, uh, a little bit of the uh, the uh, expanse of American uh, geography here. We've got me here in uh, upstate New York. We go a little bit further west and hit Pittsburgh for you, Adam. Then we head north and further west to Danny and Allie in uh, Montana. And uh, then we get all the way to the west coast. We have uh, multiple west coasters with Neil Barrett. Returning, our buddy from Standard and Strange uh, from Oakland area, and then Evan and Kate from the Pacific Northwest, Seattle in particular. So we are, we have covered the bases. I'm not sure how many electoral votes we would have, but it would be a very it would be a very broad coalition. I wish I was. Uh, I, I knew how many Pennsylvania had. That's that's probably a something. Uh, you know, growing up here all my life, I should know, but I have absolutely no clue. Um, but I'm going to say twenty something. That's my guess. Yeah, twenty something. Sure. Adam, do you need to do a, a, a formal intro or we... we I think you just crushed it, man. I mean, you just kind of took my job from me right there. <laughs> okay. We just want to say Danny and Allie, our Montana contingent, uh, are known from Whiskey Leatherworks. They make absolutely beautiful uh, leather uh, goods, beautiful belts that I wear with pride and joy, and a beautiful flask that I use with a great deal of vim and vigor. Uh, beautiful people out there in very sunny, gorgeous uh, Montana right now. Uh, Evan, you've heard on the show on a couple of episodes, Shades of Indigo is his, his uh, ID and uh, on Instagram. And his wife, Kate, is joining us this time because it was the couple's angle. And we were curious to get a couple's point of view on our previous guests. And then, of course, Neil is back. Uh, yeah, we're going to let's start off talking about Tara and Beth that first episode, um, uh, what what really struck me right away talking to both of them was how they both emphasized the regularness, the dailiness of having to deal with how women are just treated poorly in in certain uh, uh, formats and in, in certain situations. And it was, it, I found that very compelling just to hear how that was a very consistent point that they both made. Anybody want to jump in? Yeah, well, just to back up a step, Albert, you know, you had 
admitted like, oh, you know, I didn't really realize what I was liking, you know, at the time that you liked the, the photo that they were talking about earlier uh, in that episode. But, you know, I've done it too. So you're not alone. <laughs> don't, don't feel badly about that. But, but do uh, feel badly. <laughs> <laughs> don't feel badly. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated the two different perspectives that, um, that the girls came from pers- uh, primarily. Um, and I forget if I believe it was Tara and I'm trying to think of which it was, but saying, you know, I approach this with love when people have different opinions and, and even when there is, um, combativeness, I approach it with love and, you know, I just, I, I personally was thinking I could rise to the occasion a little more. And I appreciate the fact that the over and over um, interfacing with uh, unspoken, um, I guess, gender discrimination, that that there's different ways to approach. And I think about, I don't know, maybe when I was younger, I was a little more like open hearted about it. And I think as I'm Crusting my mid forties, I'm more like just kind of slap in the face, like you know. I, I just have a different. I, as I've aged, I I too have kind of uh, I think changed my perspective on how lenient I am. So you find yourself more likely to confront pe- people when they say things that you disagree with or don't feel comfortable with. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think even um, owning the company with Danny, uh, Danny actually. Um, wanted the company to be a woman-owned business. So just within the last... The last few months, we've actually transitioned the uh, majority of the interest in the company to Allie's name. So we are officially a a woman-owned business. (laughs) Which was super cool. I know, right? And we have daughters and it was a statement to them. My dad was a business person. Um, I've taken a lot of his... uh, zest and zeal for business. Danny's a maker. And I thought that that was a wonderful way to model the shift. And it's what we try to do in our household, the shift in terms of just a more balanced, um, balanced power, I guess. I I mean, to, to be absolutely gross, but yeah, to be more balanced in how, um, women are treated. And it's awesome to watch the girls watch this business grow. And so anyhow, yeah, and you know, for the most part, our business has been focused on, you know, products for men. But I think in the coming uh, in twenty twenty one, I think we're going to focus more on you know, s- sort of the uh, the same well built handcrafted belts, but more like a, a, maybe most of our stuff is inch and a half uh, with belts, but maybe reducing that down to an inch, inch and a quarter, for more uh, more focus on on women. And we get you know we get a lot of orders from women uh, requesting smaller sizes or. Um, you know, smaller widths of belts and but I, I think there's a there's that's a huge uh, opening for us and I think there's a lot of appreciation for that. Evan and Kate, do you want to jump in? Um, I think it's tough. I mean I think it's really tough to know how to approach these conversations and how to have these hard conversations. And that's something that was brought up. It's just, you know, it's not that there's um, a lack of caring and a, well, maybe there is lack of awareness. Um, but it's just, it's difficult. I think as a man to have these conversations, um, it's difficult for anybody. Um, so I appreciated that you guys kind of dove into that and really tried to break that down because, you know, I think we all know this is out there and there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of caring and love around these topics, but it's just to, it's just tough to know how to approach them because they are so deeply ingrained. And they're deeply ingrained, but also like the frequency is is something I kind of want to you know bring up again. Is just it, it's so heartbreaking. And then mm-hmm. to hear it from Tara, to hear it from Beth, to hear it from my own coworkers in my industry is it, it's just too much. And to the point you know where it's like, what can we do? Because you know, for me, when I hear that, it's like, oh, I want to do something about it. I want to do something now. But this isn't like a, you flip a switch and it's over. This is a curated, conscious thinking that you not only have to do yourself, but you have to pass down to your children. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's a tough <laughs> you know, thing to wrap around because it's not just an in-the-moment decision. It's also a place into the future generation decision as well, too. 
So th- there's so much to, to dig into on this topic that it can really, you know, spin your head. And one thing that, that I kind of, you know, had, you know, it, not really related to gender, but just a kind of like conscious thing where of, you know, criticism. Um, I, I noticed that like, you know, s- someone in my life was being extremely critical and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot deal with all this criticism <laughs> and downplay. And it's not even about someone. It's just about something. So just bringing up that, like just having a conversation with a friend about, hey, you know what? This is just so negative. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. But then having it personal because it's about your life, you know, that makes that conversation 10 times harder. So I understand what you're saying, Ali, when you're like, yeah, I just used to let it go because, you know, it, it wouldn't bother me so much. You know, it was just like, okay, cool. Yeah, this guy's being a jerk, whatever. Let him live his life. Pass it on. But, you know, 10 years of that, 20 years of that, 30 years of that, 40 years of that, I mean, the line's got to be drawn somewhere. And it's just, you know, at what point is your breaking point to, to do that? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, kind of bringing that and then also kind of talking about the, the article mm-hmm. is, you know, we all kind of have these breaking points. And I know for me, like, as soon as you talk down about my friends, that's my breaking point. Like, I love my friends so much that they're family to me. And, and whenever you talk about some, someone in that way that, that downplays one of my friends, that's, that's the line that crosses. So, you know, my kind of question for, for Ali and Kate here is like, what was the line that was crossed? I mean, you don't have to go in super details because I, it's going to hurt, you know, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's, there is a point of no return for it. And I just kind of want to ask you if you're comfortable saying with it, like, what was that point? Um, I mean, you know, you say you're mid forties, so that's, that's huge. And you're just like, nah, I don't even put up with that anymore. So mm-hmm. was, was there a specific situation or was it just like, I just got too tired mm-hmm. to even just, you know, be okay with it. Well, I recognized, I had, uh, I, I think I recognized something the day after, uh, I was married. Um, I married Dan and I married 20 years ago in Sanibel Island, Florida. And up until being married as a pretty independent woman. Um, I was a regional manager for my company out of Connecticut, living in the Southeast, managing four states as part of my territory, flying, driving all over the Southeast as part of my my company. Um, Danny was an environmental consultant. Um, we were compatible in that both of our com- we worked together. So Danny, uh, actually his business, he was one of my clients. That's how we met. So we had like this, you know, uh, we had a lot of commonality. And right when we got married, we were down in, in uh, Sanibel Island and we went fishing the day after we got married. It was <laughs> something I've always wanted to do is catch a tarpon. Like, it's just something I've wanted to do. I grew up on a lake in upstate New York. Grandfather's a fly fisherman. I, I love fishing. It's just part of what I do. So I was like, okay, so, you know, for our, you know, for our honeymoon, let's go tarpon fishing. Let's snag a tarpon. Let's like, you know, have a, have a really good time. So we get on this little skiff in the morning, maybe like, I don't know, six in the morning. It's really pretty. We're kind of skipping across the salt flats, heading out toward, it's the middle of summer. So the tarpon are in these kind of areas and the, they're rolling about. So anyhow, we, we find an area where the tarpon are right, right as the sun is kind of coming up. Maybe it's like seven thirty, eight o'clock. Am I telling this correctly? Are those the right times? Yeah, so the sun's coming up and tarpon are rolling and... We uh, immediately start casting to some tarpon and then... Wait, wait, wait. We start casting into <laughs> some tarpon? <Can laughs> so, no, we- all right, go ahead, Al. No, no, you tell this part. This well, no, I, w- I was casting just fine. And then, uh, you know, it was Allie's turn to make a cast. And the guide grabs the uh, the rod from Allie and, you know, was going to cast for her. And that was a mistake. <laughs> and Allie, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you... So he pulls the rod physically out of my hand. And like, when I say the tarpon are rolling around the boat, like I appreciate that kind of masculine desire to like help and be like amazing. And like all the positive aspects of, um, of masculinity, which I lean on all the time. Um, but in this particular situation, I could have stepped my foot out of the boat and I would have stepped on tarpon. Like they were all over. I, I didn't really even have to cast Anywho, um, he grabbed it and I said, you know, give, give, give the rod back. And he said, no, I'm going to cast for you. Then when I catch it, I'll hand it to you. And I was like, give the rod back. 
And uh, and then we got into it. Like we actually <laughs> had a fight. And so Danny's now been married 24 hours at that point. Um, <laughs> which I think kind of was the baptism by fire. Anywho, um, we wound up, uh, I said, you know, if, if you don't hand the rod back, you're not going to be paid because um, you're only servicing half your clients. And so anyway, like, I think that just kind of started the ball rolling. Like, oh, now that I'm married, I'm seen as this um, accessory piece. Whereas in my prior life as like just a, you know, single woman, I'd be like fishing and anywho, that, 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 that's my answer. It was a, it was a long boat ride, boat ride back to the dock. (laughs) (laughs) And there were a few uh, explicit uh, that were threaded into uh, her Allie's response that she didn't. (laughs) I can imagine. Yikes. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah. I mean, even today, you know, after (laughs) listening to the uh, the last episode uh, with uh, Beth and Tara, I started thinking, you know, even today there were, we've had a couple of, of clients, uh, interactions that Allie would send an email and it'd go unrespond, uh, unresponded to for a while. And Allie's like, you know what, you know, her, her bullshit meter is going off and you know, rightfully so. So I pick up the, uh, I pick up the, the, uh, email chain and, you know, like shot it over to the, uh, the client I was like, Hey, you know, are you not going to respond to Allie's email? And Allie was like, you know, called, you know, called it like she, like she saw it. She was like, you know what, this guy is not responding to me because I'm a woman. He's not taking me seriously. Then he emailed Danny back yeah, in five minutes. Yeah. I was like, so, um, but yes, yeah, sadly, you know, it still goes on, uh, today. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad Ali is who she is. And, you know, as she was saying, we have two daughters and I could not think of a better mother, uh, mama bear, uh, than Ali has been for, you know, 15, or our oldest is 15. And Ali has been just a, you know, just a huge, huge champion of, you know, women's rights and, 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 uh, well, she has a pair of socks that says motherfucking girl power. <laughs> you yes. got them for my daughters. Yes. They were the yeah. 13 and 15. <laughs> it's just the, the amount of subtlety that goes into our, the way the the habits that we have, like I use the phrase in the post, you know, I think I said Mike and his wife, Liz. And then I thought, why don't I list Liz's name first? And it's not his or her belonging to each other. I just realized how much the language we just slip into this male, put the male's name first and say his wife. Hmm. Uh, And I avoided that also Evan with you and Kate. I may have said at one point, Evan's wife, Kate, at one point, I was like, Let's go with Kate. And, you know, I just, it's just all little subtle things and our, our brains need to be, need to be challenged at every time. Neil, uh, why don't you jump in here and you look like you're ready to say something. I have a few things to say. Um, Allie, <laughs> your, your story about the fishing rod, that reminds me of, I read an article about a fashion startup in LA that was woman owned and they had a lot of similar issues with just men not taking them seriously when they were trying to raise funding or even run their business and work with suppliers. So they invented a fake male employee that they would sort of like <laughs> hand off um, whenever they ran, whenever their bullshit meter went off and they're like, Hmm, there's some sexism going on here. And it worked. It worked great for them. And then they started, I think they started blaming him <laughs> for other things that did happen to <laughs> But like it's a funny story, but it, it it's 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 a bunch of bullshit <laughs> that they had to deal with it, and they had a great business idea, a great business plan. They eventually got funding that's super successful. Um, but I mean, Albert, to your point about just like even subtle changes in language, you know, you got to be really conscious about what you're putting out, you know, in various uh, on the internet, right? In your post, we do it with our product copy when we're introducing brands. Um, And it makes for better copy all around because we're looking at it uh, just with more scrutiny overall. You know, like we've got a brand um, named Oe Yofkuten. It's a Japanese brand. It's a husband and wife run it. And I think years ago we started being like, no, we should call it like, you know, Rio and Hiro who own it, who are also a husband and wife team, right? To kind of de-emphasize the marital part of the relationship. Um, and then for the episode with Taryn Beth, uh, t- 
Tara's comment that she sort of approaches all of these interactions where she might be calling someone out with love, that really resonated with me. And, you know, how you start a conversation like that is really going to influence its trajectory, right? Mm. So if you come at it with like, hey, you come at it in a gentle way and kind of, I think, I think my point is, is that you can do it where it's respectful to both parties, right? Of course, this, this excludes someone who's just being like, you know, outright hateful. Um, but like in my experience, um, like I've had friends that'll send me like memes or videos, um, that a year or two ago I would have found funny, but now I look at them through a different lens and they're not funny. Um, they're either boring or offensive really. And so I'll have to like have that conversation with him say, Hey, like, I don't appreciate this. You know, like I actually kind of find it fairly offensive. Um, but I make sure that I give them an example of what I do want to see instead. Right. So like, I'm a firm believer. And if you're going to tell someone that they're doing something wrong, at least give them an example of how to do it right next time. That is huge. Being able to, to showcase acceptable behavior. I don't think happens a lot. Um, I mean, we're in cancel culture time. Like that is just officially where we're at, where you can just get canceled. But in all of this culture that we've created, there's no redemption. There's no, Hey, you know, sh show them the, the good example. And I think that is one of the biggest things that we could do to change the conversation rather than just call people out and just say, you're a piece of shit because of what you did. Okay. Like, okay, that's half of the conversation is letting them know that, that they're wrong. The other half is to model the good behavior so they understand and know what to do next time. Well, that was, that was why I, I started the, the episode talking about my own uh, sadness that I had liked that post that was so offensive to the women who brought it to my attention. But I've been finding also that's a good, useful way of reaching out to people who are saying things online that I find problematic just to say, I've made this mistake. Like I, I'll give you an example. There was one guy uh, who I follow who often when he doesn't look so good, he's, his punchline is I look like a homeless person. And I have used that joke. You know, I use the, Oh, I haven't had my COVID. I've had my COVID hair and beard and I look like a homeless person. And basically you've made a homeless person, a punchline. So I went to this guy and I just wrote him a note and I just said, Dude, I have done this before, so I'm very, uh, I just want to let you know what I learned from other people calling me out on this. I want to share with you that, that you've made a homeless person a, a punchline with this type of language. And instead of telling me to, you know, screw off, he just said, really fair point, and I'll take it down. And that was the end of that. And it was just me admitting like, hey, I have, I have done this so many times, so... I, I, that's, that, that's definitely something I encourage is to share with other people that you've made this mistake before is a good way to, to disarm the situation. Uh, Evan and Kate, did you want to uh, say anything further on, on this particular point? Um, I mean, obviously like every episode, there's so much valuable content to be gleaned that you're kind of, you get overloaded and you have to listen to it a couple of times, maybe to tease out the biggest um, points. But the, the biggest thing for me that stuck out being a father of a three-year-old daughter going on 13 um, is just, I can't, I think it might've been Tara who has the two kids. She has a boy and a girl. And she mentioned that she, she basically has to raise her kids differently because they're treated differently, you know? And that, and I, I definitely understand why she has to do that. And it's a real bummer. And it's the complete opposite of what I want to have to do with my daughter. You know, I mean, we go out and look for bugs and get dirty and do all the exact same things I would do with a boy, you know, and maybe she's wearing a dress while we do it is, you know, it's like a big deal, but um, that just, it really, you know, resonated with me because that's like the complete opposite of what I want to have to do with, my daughter and you know i'm lucky to have a wife who's very hardworking, and you know we are a mom and a dad but we're 
we share the load so evenly and it's not, this is what dad does and this is what mom does. It's mom and dad, you know, as parents and as examples, we're able to do the same things and trade off. And um, I think that hopefully will be helpful for her as far as just seeing how strong a woman can be. And obviously credit to my wife. She's a super strong woman who is setting a phenomenal example for our daughter. Um, and it, you know, I don't ever want her to have to feel like there's a thing that she can't do because she's not a boy, you know, and that, that's the thing that I was, you know, am concerned about as a dad by far. I was just so struck that she, Tara said, that was a three-year-old. The idea that she was so conscious of something in, impacting a three-year-old, that, that really kind of gave me a jolt. Like yeah. that, You think that's, oh, as they turn into their early teens, you have to have that conversation. She's already thinking of all of that. So that was, yeah. that was pretty powerful. The other, uh, uh, you know, just because we have a bunch of topics we want to get through, I want to just lay out one other thing. The, that question that we asked about men and women being vulnerable, I was amazed that both of them had the same response that they felt that men and women had equal issues about vulnerability. And I remember when we started the podcast, uh, someone in my office said, why are you only limiting your show to half of humanity? Like, why are you doing a show for just guys? And I was like, well, because guys have a problem of vulnerability and guys don't talk and guys have all these emotional uh, issues that they can't confront. And he was like, no, 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 like you're writing off half the people. Everybody, this is a show for everybody. And I remember being kind of like, that's silly. Everybody knows that men and women are not the same in this front. And women are much, that's my, you know, that was my, once again, my preconceptions, maybe my life experience with my own people in my life. But, but um, I don't know. What do you think, uh, Kate? You and uh, Evan, you're both equally vulnerable. Uh, you know, Evan makes jokes to me about his not being like, he's very careful and can control that level of vulnerability, but you're married to the dude. So now let's put you on the spot. Tell us a little bit about the, the vulnerability in your household. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think um, it's a it's a it's a muscle. I think that um, has to be used, and I think we're, we all grow up with a certain amount of it in our homes. Um, and so I know we both came from homes that um, you know there 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 was love, but it wasn't like this overt hugging family. Um, so we come from a very similar background in that way. So I think. I think, you know, it's something that we both continually have to look at and um, put work into. We have to exercise the muscle with each other um, because it's really not something that we, <laughs> either of us saw or had modeled to us growing up. Yeah, I like, the, I like the use of the muscle of that thing that gets stronger with use. I think that's a really great analogy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a work in progress. I mean, I think we just, yeah. um, you know we have different techniques and things that we kind of, I guess, tools in our tool belt. Um, some things that we do on a regular basis, almost like exercises. And so if it doesn't come naturally, it's like these checkpoints. Um, one of those is uh, sometimes we'll come home and just, you know, walking in the door, you have no idea where the other person is at. And um, a really helpful strategy has just been, hey, what, from zero to a hundred, like what percent are you right now? Like how many care units do you have to give? <laughs> and, and he'll be like, you know what? I've got like 15. I like, I just got destroyed at work. And I'm like, okay, okay. You've got 15, you know? And then he's like, okay, how many do you have? I'm like, okay, yeah. What? I got a chance to work out today. Like work is like pretty manageable. I think I've got like 70% care units to give. So it's like a really good way to um, kind of just take the thinking out of it. It's like a, just a checkpoint. Um, and yeah, just kind of have these tools in our tool belt to be able to check in with each other. Wow. And did you invent the care unit concept or did you read it somewhere? I like the care units. I like the care units a lot. It was, a show. It was from a show. Yeah, something. We've been yeah. using it for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, even on the weekends, like, well, if we're like planning something, it's like, no, nope, my care units are like, are booked. We're like, yeah, cannot do that thing. Maybe. <laughs> I, and I, I just, they're allocated and that's all I got. <laughs> 
I saw I saw Danny and uh, Danny and Allie get all excited when they heard uh, the 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 belt, the tool belt, because they were like, "Well, we could probably make a tool belt for them." Uh, anyway, that's a, a bad segue. But uh, how about you? Do they have care units. Do you have your little vulnerability? Uh, how you guys uh, deal with your 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 mutual vulnerabilities? Well, I, I kind of I love that analogy of a you know it being a muscle and you know. I did not grow up in a very loving, kind, you know, open-hearted family. No one ever really talked about their emotions or no one ever really shared anything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see it as a muscle and I see my, a huge lack of that in my life. And, you know, this podcast has kind of really started that inside of me that, that, um, you know, just looking at my own vulnerability and like how vulnerable am I and how, uncomfortable that is for me to be vulnerable um so it's i've got a very long way to go yeah i mean from from where all this kind of comes from and i talked about it in the the prior episodes i mean it's clearly evident now between evan and kate is just the communication is just checking in um you know the uh mike and liz give the uh the text in advance i mean you have your care units um you know, some people might give those fucks given, but for me, it's, uh, <laughs> for, I, I have something that I kind of tell my wife whenever she's just like drop something on me and I just can't handle it. And it's really just, I can't deal with that right now. I'm doing this. Let's talk about this later so I can give you my full attention. Cause there are some times where like, this is really important, but like I, I'm doing something that is important for me. Like I'm at work or like I'm, I'm doing something, I'm in a meeting, I'm, you know, setting something up that, I mean, there's a million different things that, that it could be, but it's the fact is, is like, I can't process and deal with this right now. This requires all of my attention and I can't give that to you. So being able to say like, Hey, I, I can't deal with this right now. Can we talk about this later? Um, and then not only saying like, yes, like, okay. Or like, or if she's like, this can't wait, this has to happen now. That's kind of like, okay, this is a red flag moment. I need to kind of figure something out crisis mode. That hasn't happened a whole lot. You know, that's, that's like a one or two, two times like a year thing, but most of the time things can be rescheduled and like, Hey, like, you know, the, I need to do something. Let's ch chat about this in a little bit. Um, so for me, I, that's my kind of thing about it. I mean, everyone has their own thing between each couple. We've, we've all found, you know, our little, little ways to, to get that. But whenever I get that like request of, here's something random that you're going to have to to do and invest time in. And I'm like, not, not right now. Like <laughs> I'm in the middle of something that works out. That works out for me, but yeah, I'm looking forward to telling Brian, like I don't have care yeah. units for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> like 15 could be really high if it's a, a scale of 20, but if, out of a hundred, that's not a lot of care units. Yeah. Out of 115. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Neil, yeah, Neil, what like is it? Do you have a, a, a technique in your toolbox of, along the, along these lines? Yeah, there's frequent check-ins that uh, my partner Ulrika and I do, um, but a lot of times, I mean, we'll just we'll just kind of say, "I'm feeling really pissed off right now. I need some space," <laughs> or or Ulrika will just say, "Like I like I want to be difficult," and then she'll like argue with me about something, but I'll know that the stakes of the argument are low. But really, like what it kind of what it comes down to is like we're just kind of negotiating compromise for the situation. Right. And we, we do our best to meet each other halfway and it usually works out pretty well. I mean, of course there's, there's been a couple of those sort of red flag moments like what Adam talked about, but you know, for the most part, I, I think that if one of us is feeling really upset in one way or another, just that initial, I'm feeling upset. I need to be heard. I need like my emotions to be validated. And then I want to be assured that we're going to discuss it at some point, whether it's now or in a few hours or tomorrow, as long as that happens, then things go really smooth. Yeah. I'm a little too pit bull. It's terrible. The minute I latch onto something, I tear it to shreds. I've just got to sort it out before I could do anything else. And I feel really bad. I just, I try to change it in myself. It's not, not something I'm changing very readily. Um, just looking at the clock, uh, I, I want to move on a little bit to the to the, uh, the the recent episode, the one with Mike and his and 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 Liz. Um, they talked a lot about you know COVID uh, and and learning to work at home 
uh, together. Now, Danny and Allie, you guys work together uh, for business. I always wonder if I could actually work with my spouse. Uh, is there some special uh, challenges that come along with, I mean, do, do you literally have to say we are not working now, now we have to put aside the business or is it so intertwined you can't really separate them? You know, I think it's a lot like having, it's a lot like having offspring. Um, I think that, you know, the first time when in having kids, everything shifts to like less, you know, direct connection and, and there's becomes this more like holistic approach. So you have to make time for that direct connection. And with the company, I think like we're having the same set of challenges where it's beautiful, it's enriching, it gives, you know, it, it, it gives us bounty, but at the same time, it can also serve as a distraction from that one-on-one purist time when the, the, that voice isn't around. So to your point, um, I think we're still working on that daily and we do use language like that, nah, you know, not now, like, you know, I know we're drinking whiskey, but we're not talking about whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike and, uh, and Liz talked a lot about this uh, over-communicating, that they will run the risk of oversharing and over-communicating, wanting to make sure that nothing's building up. And I really related to that too, because I tend to overshare and over-communicate just by nature. I'm just kind of, I want to know everything. I want to tell people what I feel and I want to know what they feel. And I just sometimes can't give it a rest. Uh, and it can be annoying as hell. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, in, in Evan and, and Kate, what is that, uh, what is, how does that work in your home front? You guys now are both, you're not working from home though, right? Evan, you've been going out and actually going to the office. So you've not had that work in each other's space issue to deal with like Mike and Liz were dealing with. Yeah, I mean, we've had a, compared to a lot of people, a very different experience through the whole pandemic in that. We're both technically essential services workers. So, I mean, she's a nurse practitioner, so she's obviously going to the hospital every day still. And I was still going to the office because I deal with housing. And so the housing market obviously is considered essential. Um, so we didn't, we're not really locked down <laughs> like uh, the other, like the, the couple in the podcast. <laughs> and we don't have to worry about yeah. barging into a room and, you know, disrupting a, a meeting or anything like that. Um, but to go along with that, you know, it still, there's this through the pandemic, kind of this underlying stress that builds and you don't even realize it until it's, you know, kind of at the tipping point and you're like, Holy cow. I didn't, you know, cause even though we were going out to work, we still weren't doing things, you know, we weren't going where we normally do. We don't go out to restaurants. We don't take our daughter to the zoo or anything like that. Um, so there's just that, I think it was a slow build, but eventually you just get to a point where you're like, oh my gosh, this is like cabin fever. <laughs> I gotta get out of here, you know? But um, in terms of just stepping on each other's toes and whatnot, we haven't had to deal with that as much, which is a massive blessing, I think. So, so I'm sorry, go ahead, Kate. Oh yeah, I was just gonna add, I could, I could really relate to kind of, in a way what they said about how it it was almost a blessing in in like a very odd way because it really made them face challenges um, because they were in such close quarters together. And so they had to come up with new systems and it really sounds like they ended up being more attuned to each other and their needs like forcefully, you know, because of this crazy world situation. Um, So I thought it was neat that they were able to pull like such a positive, you know, benefit out of something just so wild. I'm just curious when um, when they started talking about their decision about not having children. What was your reaction to that? That was I, I that was a powerful. That seemed like a very personal story. So I was very very surprised when when they were wanted to talk about it. But um, I'm just I'm just curious when you heard them talking about that. What what that set off in your own thinking? Um, I could really, I mean, I could really relate because, you know, we are potentially on a one and done train. And so we have our single daughter. Um, and I think, I know I feel even just pressure to have two children, you know, it's like just having one, like, why would you not give her a sibling? And, um, I think, you know, so to a certain degree I could relate and, um, I could just really relate to the stigma that comes with that, the social pressure, um, kind of potentially this view that, 
you're a selfish individual because you're prioritizing your, your relationship. Or she mentioned that she was, you know, a career woman and that was her, that was her focus. And so um, I was really glad to see that it was brought up and discussed. I think it's really important and um, certainly something that, you know, even though we have one kid, there's even still pressure. Why aren't you giving your one child a sibling? So it was like very relatable. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just appreciate them sticking to their guns, you know, and this is the decision and regardless of the pressure, this is, you know, the best thing for us in our relationship and, you know, bending to that pressure in order to satisfy someone else that is not the two individuals in the marriage is the worst possible thing you can do um, because you're not satisfying anyone, but people that aren't in the relationship. <laughs> and so that's like, you know, it's kind of that old idea that like, Oh, you know, maybe if we have a kid, it'll fix our relationship problems. <laughs> it's like, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. If you don't want to have a kid, the worst thing you could do is have a kid. Like it's just, so it is totally admirable that they, have, you know, followed their own, you know, hearts basically and stuck to what they know is the best for them. And ultimately in the long run, uh, their relationship will succeed because of it, I think. Yeah. And Allie and Denny, I mean, you guys have kids um, much older, you know, 10 years older than, than Evan and uh, Kate and I. Um, so whenever you kind of hear those, those things about, you know, people not choosing to, to have children or, you know, limiting children, um, do you guys feel any type of way about that? Cause you know, I, I we're about to, you know, next year, hopefully uh, we, we got another one coming on. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited about that. But then again, it's, you know, just like, just like what Kate said, it's like, is there number two coming on? Is there number two coming on? Is, is there three? Are you guys going to decide to do another one just because, you know, you guys are doing so well right now, you know, everything's good. <laughs> you know, don't, don't they want to be a little, you know, uh, maternal themselves, you know, raise, raise a young one there's so much conversation about it. It's insane. As soon as I became a parent, there's like this whole other world of life that you don't even, you don't even get into until you become like a part of this parent club. Um, and it's so intense. And I mean, what do you guys experience? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm looking at myself, you know, 10 years down the road right here and uh, I, I'm in your shoes. So I, I'm just curious, you know, for, for my own sake, but as well as for all of our listeners, like what do you guys experience? Cause that is big. I've never done it. My parents were over here last weekend and they were talking about it. So it's like that, that happens almost every gathering I have. Well, you know, I mean, so I guess to the immediate point, it is incredible. I think it's as personal as deciding to to open a company together. Like I do, Kate, I really appreciate uh, what you said um, in, in backing up that, that it's a personal decision. I feel like there's some social norms that take some of that perhaps personal decision and, um, and, and throw a lens on it as an, as a um, expectation. Um, that having been said, uh, I, you know, I think like as your, as your kids crest through a certain age, you start realizing that um, these, these beings, these individuals, they're your teacher as much as you are theirs. And that takes a lot of, do you have the charger? That takes a lot of pressure off, I think, once you start to see that. When your kids start saying things that are wittier than you, that are <laughs> smarter than you. Um, and I think we're like coming into that zone right now where, uh, you know, my daughter argues better than me. And it, it's like, wow. You hope you become an attorney. You realize you've got skills, girl. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a huge adventure. I had no idea what we were getting into. Um, I wouldn't say that we had planned this trajectory at all. Like I, you know, it all, it kind of just happened. But um, Danny, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, as far as just you know, being non-judgmental, you know, our friends here in Missoula uh, kind of run the gamut. You know, there's uh, you know, people who choose not to have kids and people who have, you know, two or three kids of their own, as well as adopted kids, you know, really large families, you know, five, you know, five or six kids. And um, yeah, I mean, there's really no judgment at all. You know, for me personally, I, you know, I was one of three, I had two sisters, I had an older sister and a younger sister. And, you know, there was a part of me who always wanted a brother uh, to, to spend time with, you know, I had, uh, friends in my neighborhood that I played with, but, you know, Allie grew up with a sister and they're 
like right at two years apart. And, you know, that's kind of what we ended up with. And like Ali was saying, you know, really, we didn't really put too much planning into it. And it's just something that kind of happened naturally. So, um, but yeah, after, after two, uh, we're definitely done. So <laughs> there will be no more. <laughs> no. <laughs> there will be no more. Well, Neil, you've you've uh, helped give birth to a business yourself. Uh, what what do you, what else do you, do you see? Any crystal ball prognostications about uh, about such things, or you'll cross that bridge when you get to it? Where are you at in this subject? Oh, of about about child rearing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I am very happy with the cool, fun uncle. <laughs> it's working out great. Um, I kind of jokingly tell people my position on having kids is like having a boat. You have friends with a boat. <laughs> they, <laughs> they get to deal with the day-to-day of the boat. I mean, you get to go out a couple times a year and enjoy it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like, I mean, Rick and I have really, you know, we've discussed having kids and it's just not the right decision for us right now. Um, we're open to it in the future. Probably we'll have to adopt. Um, but you know, we'll, we're, we're dealing with a bunch of other stuff right now. <laughs> so it's pretty low on our <laughs> <Yeah>. priority list. <laughs> um, you know, but like I, I've had a lot of pressure cause I grew up Mormon and even after I left the church and just from family and friends who were still active, give us a lot of pressure to have kids and I can be pretty testy about it. Like I, I actually get pretty offended when people want to just kind of, for me, it's crossing a boundary where they, where they say, you know, it's fine to ask, do you guys plan on having kids? But then they say, well, are you sure you're making the right decision? Because my expectation, maybe that's better than all the thought and effort you've put into it. And I find it really disrespectful and I get pretty pissed off pretty quick about it. So it's been a few years since any family has asked me about it and it's been great. Yeah. I, I actually uh, wanted to bring that part up with it is the uh, the latter part of the kind of interrogation and um, that, that kind of deals with a little bit of the, the um, article as well too. But one big part of my life that I've kind of, uh, you know, kind of seen is why do people care so much about what other people do? Mm. That is such a big question because it's kind of like, I'm just going to take the selfish route in this and I'm more concerned about what I do than what any of you guys do. That's my personal opinion. (laughs) But it seems like when these conversations happen, it's more about what the other people are doing rather than what you're doing. So when it comes to kind of like meltdowns and stress and snapping at people, there's kind of this threshold of, you know, what you're doing is more important than what I'm doing slash like I care about more what you're doing uh, versus what I'm doing myself. And, you know, with that, that article and just kind of like, you know, all these kind of social pressures, especially with children, it's just like, why do you give a shit about what I'm doing? Like <laughs> politely fuck off. <laughs> but like, I don't want to have this conversation. Like why? <laughs> um, so one one part of about that article was alternate rebellion and instead of just flipping out i'm not sure actually oh. adam i don't think we actually introduced oh, we the article okay. fully <laughs> no i don't think we did officially yet but it's a wall street journal article that uh that neil sent around and the headline is the art of the pandemic meltdown and uh, the sub uh, headline is under stress from every front we're having more meltdowns Here's How to Lose It the Right Way by Elizabeth Bernstein, or Bernstein, who will make an attempt to get on the show for a future episode. So now that, that's the article you're referring to. So sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Good. Good context there. Because, yeah, we definitely didn't, didn't give it that. Um, but, yeah, like th- there's a couple things in that article that are, are really juicy. Um, one of them I wrote down was the, the alternate rebellion. And I know personally, um, I'm a, like an abandoner. I'm like a fuck everything else. Like I'm just going to stop and just kind of like put my head in the sand for lack of a better expression. But I'm a, I'm a shutdowner um, when it comes to overstressing and stuff like that. So when people ask me these conversations, uh, you know, ask me these questions or overwhelm me, I just stop. My, my, my reaction is just to stop and, and not do anything. Um, but the, what kind of Neil was saying with, you know, very, 
intrusive questions along with all the other stressors, like where, where do we play out in that? And, and where is our alternate rebellion? And I think for me, um, you know, this kind of, you know, brought a, a few of the things full circle, which is, you know, have, have the, the end result be love. Evan, you've talked about that. I mean, Neil, we've talked about that. The article um, even kind of talks about moving on and forgiving yourself. But um, I'm just kind of curious. I just want to throw it out to, to anyone. Um, you know, this, just the aspect of, hey, why do you give so much of a shit about what I'm doing? And then also, instead of snapping at them, you know, what is your alternate rebellion? One thing I've done um, is if I've done this more with family, but if they want to press me about various big life decisions that I consider to be just my choice to make, um, I'll do the, I'll try to fatigue them by overexposure to it. And I'll go into great detail on why, <laughs> Well, I, well, it's kind of like, like, okay, you want to go in like to some deep waters here. All right. Well, I'm going to pull you in and we're going, we're going to get in. And, you know, (laughs) I I found it to work in a few ways. One, like they do tend to end end up listening to me and like learning from it and then sort of gain knowledge and my perspective on it. And then they don't feel the need to bring it up again. But then it's also, you know, a little bit of a ruler across the hand for <laughs> um, for pressing me on it in, a, in an aggressive way. Yeah. One thing you kind of said was uh, it's family a lot of the times. And throughout this conversation, there's kind of been two, you know, kind of buckets like of, of you know, where is it? Like the, the kind of people that push the envelope and then the people that respect it. And it seems like the, the envelope pushers are family and strangers. And in the friend category is kind of like, I'm going to get, you know, I'm getting what I want out of this conversation. So for strangers and family, I think family is harder to talk about than to strangers. I think like, you know, it's easier for me to have a, a hard conversation with a stranger than it is with family. Do you guys have the, the same perspective or, or no? <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely family. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think you just have all the you you have all the the baggage, if you will, that comes along with talking to the the family. There's no clean slate, <laughs> that's true. you know, and it's not like that because you're holding grudges against family. It's just even before the conversation starts, you know that person so well that you almost kind of know how it's going to go and what. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to like whatever you're about to discuss so it's just like you're already getting fired up and they haven't even said anything because i know what you're gonna say <laughs> and this is just like that just you know com- takes the conversation on the completely wrong trajectory <laughs> yeah I mean, it seems you've had no prior experience to any of this at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean Oh yeah, no, I I just there, like with family, like like a parent, you know. There's almost like this sense of like ownership. It's like you're still a kid, you know. And I loved Albert's mm-hmm. comment from the, the episode. It was the "I love you, but" conversation. Oh, yeah. That was the best thing ever. It was so empowering. It's like I'm not 16 anymore. I'm a grown adult. Uh, you know, these conversations need to happen mm-hmm. to create these boundaries. And so I think. Going in, you know, back to the question, stranger versus family, it's like, you've just got to, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. That just really resonates with me. Family is very difficult. (laughs) So do family members deserve a little bit of extra vulnerability or extra, you know, care with these conversations? On the flip side of that, what if this conversation is very gender biased or racist or, you know, a very hard topic, um, do they deserve that? Or is it more appropriate as a family member to call them out? Well, Neil is the expert on calling out a parent who needs to be called out. I'll never forget <laughs> when he told that long story about that man harassing him with all those racist emails. And he said, dad, you got to just change all your bad behavior. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I love that. You were just like, sorry, dad, I'm going to have to uh, spell it out. Um, it, you know, going back to what Tara's approach is, if you, if you have it from a source of love, 
you're more likely to have a better outcome with it. So I try to be really, I, I try to bring a lot of grace to it and treat it as a learning moment for both parties. So I really try my best to resist my rage and my anger and to have this sort of like hot take quick reaction to it. And Try, try to like be vulnerable myself, like, well, I find this problematic or this offends me because reasons, right? And connect that back to them or my relationship to them. So there's something that they can wrap their head around a little easier. Um, and ultimately, you know, if you're open with them about why the conversation is inappropriate and what you want to change, they're going to make the decision on, you know, what to do from there. So you can kind of only do so much for that conversation, realize- for that conversation though. But you do open up an opportunity if that one, if you know, if you took this initial conversation that could have been gone really badly and you made it only half as bad, then maybe you can have another conversation in the future that's 30% as bad and 20% as bad after that. So I try to take a longer perspective on it mainly because I have to with family, because I'm going to have to interact with them again. I can't just walk away from a stranger and never see them again. So so since that first time you told that story, have you felt incremental shifts in position with your dad and you guys are having a more productive conversation or are you guys still fairly estranged on a couple of key points that you were, that you were arguing? Um, my dad reached out uh via email to apologize to me but it was uh a i'm sorry if type of apology and i got the feeling that he just wanted to be like well if we both say we're sorry then we can move on and i replied back and was like look it's a good start but it's not enough like we need to we need to do some deeper work and kind of dig into this because this is going to come up again and we both need to set some boundaries so I really need you to hear me out on why this was, why I don't like this behavior. And I kind of had to thread a needle because I didn't want to challenge his, his viewpoints. I just wanted to basically tell him that your viewpoints aren't welcome. <laughs> your political viewpoints aren't welcome. Not that they're wrong. I just don't want to hear them. And I, I kind of call it the elephant in the room approach. It's not the best way for conflict resolution, but it's basically, look, as long as we don't talk about the elephant in the room, we can move on. Mm, That's a big, it is a big condition. And I, I mean, I I think it's workable. Um, I know, I, I don't think that we'll ever really be able to dig in as deep as we need to, to really be able to resolve it. Um, on our own, we may be able to do that with some professional help. Um, but both of us have to be ready for that. I'm getting there to be ready for it, but I also, you know, I need to be ready for that too. Um, but I'm just trying to kind of find that balance between standing up for what I believe in and still having a relationship with my father. And it's tough. That's a big balance between parents and children. It's a huge one. Yeah. That's huge. Just we we mentioned the article, and I do urge uh, people to find it because it, it it is a really well done article. Um, but the the final section of the article says how to have an effective meltdown. So if you're into making little short little uh, lists, uh, the categories are uh, accept it. Um, don't judge yourself for for having a breakdown. Plan ahead if possible. This is a new one for me. Uh, don't just have a breakdown, Fig- make a plan for it. Better to cry in private than to start sobbing in the middle of a Zoom meeting. So that's a, that's a good one. Uh, next one, know what you need and tell others. Uh, model a good meltdown. Interesting, no kicking the dog or punching the wall. Do something productive like ride a bike a thousand miles, Evan. Um, try an alternate rebellion. I know you were talking about that one before, Adam, your alternate rebellion. What is, what is your alternate rebellion? What do you do? You drive to New York and you hang in my backyard. That was so much <laughs> fun. Much, that was man. the coolest day ever. Um, yeah, that, that was more fun than, than tell rebellion. Tell your friends to turn off your device and listen to music. Calm yourself, a technique. Uh, dialectal behavior therapy referred to the acronym TIP. You talked about TIP. Uh, temperature, put your face in extremely cold water. <laughs> Lowers your body temperature. Uh, I is for intense exercise. 
Uh, the first P for paced breathing and the final P for progressive muscle relaxation. Um, the next one, explore the meaning of your meltdown. I like that one. If you're going to have one, you might as well figure out why it happened and learn from it. And then finally, this is my favorite, move on. Apologize if you've upset others and don't expect someone else to clean up your mess. Forgive yourself having a meltdown. So those are real. Those are really good bullet points, and and uh, you could definitely go hunt out that article. Uh, Adam, we're coming up on an hour. Uh, these guys are so awesome. I would love to talk to them for another hour. Um, is that is that something we want to do, or do we want to just say this is one hell of a great hour, and we should all come back and do it again? Yeah, I suspect that after this week, uh, this this episode will air after the election, and depending on the result and how people are managing and processing what happened. We may need to reassemble the group just for moral support or just because we're going to be having a big old party. I, I really uh, feel like I'm at my wits end and I'm going to try to stay cool through Tuesday. But I know I'll be reaching out to all of you to to help me out a little bit later in this week, uh, hopefully for diff, you know for a good reason and not a bad one. Anyway, uh, final anybody else? Anybody before we sign off want to say anything at this moment? I guess the only thing that I wanted to say is, um, and it goes back to so many different points that came up today from um, conflict resolution and approaching that hard topic and kind of, this is only my personal perspective. And as I've been sitting here, I realize how much I use tongue in cheek humor to like either confront or um, uh, redirect a conversation. And I I don't know if part of that's just... uh, it avoids having to go too deep too quickly, but it's a nice little quick pivot is like uh, using tongue in cheek humor. Maybe it's my Irish lineage, but that is, uh, it doesn't solve a lot. (laughs) I'm going to say that, but it does, it does do a good job in kind of pivoting a conversation if that's what needs to happen. Uh, So anyway, I was was just thinking about that. I was like, what do I actually do? I'm like, oh, I make a lot of jokes. No, it's an, it's an amazing, amazing pivot. It's a great, uh, uh, you know, energy diffuser. And I feel actually sorry for people who don't have a little bit of a sense of humor about themselves. Uh, I know some people like that. And I'm just like, if you would just have a little sense of humor about this situation, everything would be diffused. It's not the end of the world. Why are you turning this little problem into a total meltdown? Because they just don't want to admit a little bit, like maybe they played a little part in the problem. <laughs> God almighty. It's just a little bit of a part of the problem. You can live up to that, right? <laughs> oh, Evan and Kate. Anything? I just want to say- I mean, I just think what you guys do is just really great and, you know, just just uh, nothing but love for you guys. And uh, man, coming into this week, I just want everybody to take care of themselves. And uh, I love that we started to broach the the tip. I think that's uh, such a cool topic that we could spend a lot more time on, especially this week. So <laughs> we might have a tip as episode, just tip yeah. next time. If you need it. Yeah. Neil, Neil, you want to give us a, a final thought? I think the idea of having a plan for what to do works really well for both of the episodes, both for how you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone and then how you're going to release all that anxiety and energy you've got building up. You know, I think one of my favorite things to get that energy out was I went to a gym and they had a giant tractor tires and sledgehammers and you could hit the tractor tire with a sledgehammer. And first time I did it, I called the tractor tire a bad father. <laughs> I mean, I just like, you know, I went into like a weird rage mode where I just like got a lot came out. A lot of shit was coming out there. I don't normally call random objects a bad father, but um, yeah, have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Having a plan is, is, is great. And, um, one thing that, that I really kind of want to say about this and the moving on is forgiving yourself. I think the most progress I've had in, in my own mental health, in my own life development, in my relationships with anyone, especially my wife, is being able to forgive myself. Because I screw up, I screw up a lot, did some really stupid stuff when I was younger, I did some really awkward things, I did some really silly things, really embarrassing things. But I'm able to tell myself now when those come up, 
and the random evenings or, you know, you're just sitting in line or waiting for something and then just poof into your head comes so such a crazy story that would just like, you know, murder you any day of the week. I get to tell myself, Adam, you're older and wiser now. You make way better decisions. I forgive myself for that situation. And whenever that pops up, that is the instant diffuser. Um, th- there's just weird things that, that happen. Yeah, I'm sure everyone on this call has, has one of those situations that they can just be reminded of. And then, hey, oh, whoa, that was weird. And why the hell did I ever do that? But you have the wisdom now to handle it better. And you can forgive yourself. So the first aspect of, of moving on for me is forgiving yourself. And that's so powerful. Allow yourself to make a mistake. Allow yourself to be wrong, but also allow yourself to have a conversation and be corrected because that's where the progress happens. That's where the growth happens. And that's how we're going to make our earth, our planet, our country a better place. So I just want to say thank you to everyone that, that came on and shared. I mean, Ali and Kate, it was beautiful hearing, hearing your sides of this and thank you. This has been another episode of the Veer, Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. I'm Neil Barrett. I'm Evan Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett. Daniel Ernest. Allison Ernest. Thank you for listening.